props to this guy for doing this. I got to give him credit. Uh, I'm I'm more into this than you are. I kind of love that a guy's dreaming like this. Yeah. I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. Uh, I put my all in it like no days off on the road. Let's travel, never looking back. So we uh, we're, we just did this other intro. Mike's got screwed up. We're gonna do it again. We could say what we said even faster though. We're talking about the stuff that we're the startups that we're investing in. I actually put it into a format. Uh, so like uh, the name of the deal, why each of us did it, why it can be great, but I also want to say why it can suck, why it will fail. Yeah, yeah. this is like the. Uh, Disclaimer here: We have a stake in everything that you're gonna we're gonna be talking about. Uh, I frankly don't care if people use it or not. I mean, this is more so entertainment. I have a feeling some people will use it, but that and, and also this isn't like investment advice. A lot of these companies are very likely going to go out of business because that's just how startup investing works. Yeah, and you couldn't invest in them if you wanted to. Most likely, uh, the, the the good outcome of this would be a you hear about some cool startups that are doing interesting things, and it just gets your wheels turning about like, oh shit, I never even thought about that. That's exciting. And then the other is. You get a taste of what it's like to invest in deals and how you think how how an angel investor thinks about investing in, in early stage startups. All right. I, so wait, I just want to say really quick that doesn't I don't want people to know. I'll say for me, I'm not necessarily I'm not saying I'm good at this. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm I'm just kind of doing it like publicly. So people are watching me learn like get in shape publicly. I've probably done 30 deals. But anyway, um, you wanna um all right, let me go first because I have this deal that I, I have to make an introduction to you because they specifically asked for you. It's the top one. It's called Abstract Ops. Um, and I need to know if you want to join this or not. I actually... I, I just emailed the guy today because I was like, shit. When I saw you write this, I was like, oh shit, I forgot to reply to that guy. Did I introduce you? You told me about it. And I was like, I, I forgot to ask about it. So I emailed um, him. Yeah, he, I, I offered you him or him. One, somehow you're already in the know. And he said he wants to talk to you. So I know this guy. There's two guys. I don't know the second one. The first one, his name is Adam Spector. He's one of the founders. I think he's the COO. I've known him since 2014 or 15, maybe. Uh, I've been in a book club with them. There's four of us who have a book club. <laughs> and I invested in the seed round. I didn't have much money at the time, but I think I invested either $1,000 or $2,000. I don't remember. But I got right. pro rata. So when what that basically <laughs> means is when they were going to raise again, I got to invest again. And that's how I find out about this. Adam's amazing. I ended up investing around $400,000. And, and I got to preface this that saying that I do my own money that comes straight out of my checking account. And then I also have this thing called Hampton VC. So HamptonVC.com. Or is it .com or .co? Uh, and you can, uh, it's where I use AngelList, where I invest, it's HamptonBC.com. It's where I invest like my own money. Uh, and then if someone wants to join, they can. So in this deal, right. I did both my own and Hampton's money. And we invested about $400,000. Basically, so explain what, what it is. What's, yeah. what's abstract ops? So have you, the, like, if you're like, know what you're talking about a little bit, it, you would say it's like net NetSuite for startups. If you don't know what that is, which a lot of people don't know what that is, it yeah, basically... I don't know what NetSuite is. So when you start a company, there's all... I don't actually know if you had to do this because you actually had people earlier on, on. But when I started my company, there's a lot of stuff that I would always forget to do because I'm just an absent-minded person. So for example, if you have uh, employees in different states to file taxes into each state or even just to register in each state. And it's not like a huge penalty. It's like a $100 penalty if you don't do it correctly and you get a notice. But it's important to do it all right. Um, otherwise, it adds up or 
Another example is like certain HR practices and certain backend practices, like uh, onboarding contractors in a very particular type of way, getting them to uh, assign like an intellectual property release. There's just a thousand different things. And Abstract Ops is software that helps you, that basically adds in what all those things are and its workflow so you can see which tasks need to get done. Um, Does that make sense? It's a little bit fluffy, but does that make sense? That's a little bit fluffy, but I recommend people actually go to their landing page, not because uh, that has anything to do with the investment, but it's such a good landing page. So, so what you see if you go there, so it says, so I'm just going to point out a couple of brilliant things. I'm going to use this in my power writing course because this is an example of an amazing landing page for a fairly boring business that would normally have a cookie cutter, very boring stock photo type of, uh, of website. And so it says, Stop running from your back office tasks, which is basically like they had a million ways they could explain their business. Like we make it easy to handle, um, you know, your your back office tasks or to handle HR legal and, and le- uh, HR legal and finance ops. And so stop running from it. I think it's great. It shows me this person understands like how founders are, which is like we put the shit off as far as we possibly can because it's a pain in the ass. So we just don't want to think about it. And then it has this stick figure running away from a tornado, uh, like a little hand-drawn tornado, and I love it. And then the the, the first like subheadline is, I started a company to do a bunch of back office work. Literally, no founder ever, right? And it's like, I just get that I I love the that they have personality. I think what that does is it makes it way easier. It shows me that whoever's behind this knows marketing, and they're going to have a much easier time recruiting uh, like customers and and users because. They're taking the the average mundane things and they're turning them into little sales moments where I start to love this brand. And, um, and I think Slack did this extremely well. If you open up Slack, there's like 10 little delightful details that make you kind of like Slack, even though it's a pretty boring like work chat tool. And um, so, so that was something that stood out to me right away. Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. You know, finding a service solution that keeps your customers happy can feel impossible. Like trying to remember the name of that guy you literally just met at that networking event. And HubSpot Service Hub can help. So with the service solution part, at least it makes it easy. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform with an AI-powered help desk and a chatbot to handle your frontline tickets so you could scale support and drive retention and revenue. Visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn more. So I'll explain why I made the decision to invest. The first is I know the founder. His name is Adam, and he had previously sold the company to Twitter. I don't know if it was incredibly successful, but I don't care. To me, it's like, all well, right. It's in what we call the, the sweet spot. Yeah, you know, you did just enough that I don't think you're an idiot, but you didn't get rich enough where, uh, where, I, where I'm worried that you're going to be you know, some lazy wannabe Steve Jobs visionary type for your next thing. It's like you're, you're hungrier than you were the first time, and you're smarter than you were the first time too. Yeah. Uh, and so that's one of the reasons why. The second reason is uh, the product. I, like I know, like frankly, I think they're still figuring out the product. They have like close to seven figures in recurring revenue, but I think they're still even figuring out the product. Which frankly is a reason why you shouldn't have. I shouldn't have invested. Is like they're still kind of tinkering exactly what it's going to become. But I do know that when it comes to the back office of startups, um, this was something that I failed at for years. Like I struggled so hard to like make sure I filed my taxes in Washington because we had one guy who was working more than 40 hours a week there. Yeah. Like it, it was just like a nightmare and it stressed me out. And there, when I was selling my company, there was so much stuff that was like loose paperwork. Um, the, um, the, um, the things that make me worried though is that Zenefits, Gusto, or the thousand of other companies <laughs> that they can just... Once you... Because like it's hard to get... 
once you start using Gusto or some payroll provider, getting out of that is a pain in the ass. So if these companies are smart, which some of them are, but they're still big, slow companies, then they're going to uh, do a good job of ripping abstract apps off and offering these features as a add-on. But yeah. I actually, I think that could be said for a lot of different companies. Um, also, because it's this like huge, it's kind of vague now because it's not uh, a very narrow product. Because it's this like huge idea, I get nervous that they're not going to be able to sell this to customers. But they've done a pretty good job of getting some of like the cooler, hipper companies already as beta customers. So it's incredibly interesting to me. What about you? And so, so I kind of agree. So I guess like the one thing for me is it's not super clear. Like even on their website, they have a bunch of these like little examples. So for, for, it says. If you're a CEO, we handle and automate your HR, legal ops, finance, so you don't have to. And then I like how it says, be scrappy, not sloppy, which is definitely a distinction I've, I've failed at many, many times, falling into sloppy, but calling it scrappy uh, as my as my cover. But they have a bunch of like use cases, like pay legal invoice, send equity grant to advisor, set up health insurance, compose investor update. And so I'm not sure how one platform can either do all those things, or is it just a to-do list so that you actually do this? So I don't actually know the product well enough because I haven't used it, but I would say that's one challenge is it seems like it's trying to do a whole bunch of things, which means it's either a very generic horizontal tool or it's a complicated tool. Which one is it? I think it's going to be a complicated tool at first. That said, I think that like a company like a NetSuite, which does a little, which is like a net, you know, QuickBooks. Yeah. NetSuite is like that, but plus a lot more. Right. And what I've noticed is that being, particularly being at HubSpot, once I can get, if you can be a good enough salesman and get someone to start buying your shit, it's incredibly easy just to start selling them more and building more stuff on top of that. And I'm hoping that's what we can do with Abstract Ops. And one of the kind of question marks here is is this automated or are there just humans in the back end that are like helping do all this stuff? A little bit of both uh, currently. Currently, a yeah. little bit of both, but so this, I think that's that's the question: is can they get it to be more software than than humans so that it scales better? Are you going to invest? Uh, we'll see. I want to actually use the product because I I'm guilty of this, like I said. So like I have a, a company that, um, that you know my basically my my personal company that like back office is kind of sloppy, is kind of a mess. Like our QuickBooks, like I don't want to open any of those tabs. Like I don't want to open Gusto. I don't want to open QuickBooks. It's like something I like choose to avoid. I'd rather like, I'd rather put it off until shit breaks. And then it's, I know it's too late, but like, fuck, I just, I hate thinking about this stuff. I'd only, I only want to think about growth if I can. And so I actually think I would be a potential user for this. And so I'm going to use it and I'm going to see, is this magical for me or not? And that'll be the, the make or break for investing, which is always the best. If you can be, if you are the customer, it's way easier to invest than things that you're guessing about. Tell me about one that you're excited about. All right. I'm going to tell you about one called JAR. So I, I think I emailed you this deal because I think you should do it. Um, but what is it? So JAR is, uh, you know that app Acorns? Uh, it's like kind of a big fintech app. Acorns Didn't they go like, public? I don't know if they. I think they're like spacking or something like that. They're they're like a multi, they're like over a billion dollar valuation. And what 2. Acorns the, the the genius there was like you would buy something and they would just be like, hey, do you want to like do you want to? It would just tell you up front, do you want to be a saver? Uh, okay, you want to be a saver? Great. Um, uh, well, here's here's why we can make it easy for you. You don't have to think too much when you buy Starbucks and it's your bill is you know three twenty three. Let's just round up to four and we'll just round up the savings and we'll just deposit that. And oh, look, over time, if we just keep rounding up, you'll you'll save. That's how it started, at least. And it was a pretty clever idea. People like that. And so what these guys are doing is they're taking the Acorns model um, and tweaking it a little bit, but they're doing it in India. And so here's what I like about it. Um, 
you most apps when you want to go invest it's like you download some fintech app and then you got to like link your account so you got to deposit money and then it's like great what do you want to invest in or how do you want to set this up you know do you want to do a mutual fund do you want to do an index fund like what do you want to do and it's like shit i need knowledge now and then it's like hey by the way you can't just start investing right away like we have to verify your identity so like scan your driver's license hold it up to the screen you know with a nude photo and whatever else right there's like all these steps that go into just getting started with any investing app because that's the law. And what these guys figured out is a... Um, did did a very... this used to be called Spenny? No. Are you sure? Yeah, I think they're... I, I don't remember Spenny. Uh, they didn't mention that at least. It's, it's called... Their, their URL was like changejar.in. Uh, uh-huh. And so um, what they were doing is they were like, look, the average person in India is... Not, uh, this was like their story. They were like... I got my job when I was 21, like most people, but I don't start. I didn't start saving anything or investing until I was 30. And when I was 30, it was like, oh shit, I want to like buy a house sometime, and like I want to get married, and like oh, I really should start doing adult stuff. And so he's like, that lost decade between 20 and 30 is like a huge difference in your net results if you had started saving earlier. Like everybody's seen these compound savings charts where if you start at 21 versus 31, um, you know, you end up with millions of dollars more because you've been able to like save for an extra decade and um, even in small amounts. And so what they said was, how do we solve that problem? How do we get you to start investing at 21 instead of 31? And what they did was they're like, we're going to simplify the shit out of this. We're going to simplify it where in 45 seconds, you can have your first investment done. I said, well, how do you do that? And they said, well, here's the thing. In India, everybody believes in gold. And I know this because my family in India has like gold shops. They like sell jewelry and whatnot. And gold is like the thing. Every, like, if you ask a mom there about stocks, they can't tell you a single thing. It's not even a big, stocks is not like a a big thing there. But everybody has like a gold set of jewelry as their like safety net. That's crazy. And like, if if we ever have to flee, we're just going to grab the gold and we're going to run. And like, this has literally happened in India where there's like a, where Pakistan and India split up. So people literally did have to flee. So it's like kind of baked in that way. And so they're like, we only offer one asset. It's gold. Everybody already believes in it and they want it. The second thing is your first uh, up to a certain weight of gold. You don't have to do all the financial compliance that you have to do for like stocks or real estate or other like larger investments uh, or different asset classes. So they're like, there's this loophole where basically we can get you to start saving right away. You don't have to verify your ID and you don't have to like link your accounts and do all this other stuff. Um, so I love that like, the simplicity that was in their go to market, because I was like, oh, people will actually do that. If I can in 45 seconds get saving, great. And then once I reach this threshold where I've bought a certain weight of gold, then it asks you to put your, put your, put way more information in. But by then I'm kind of pot committed because I already have my, I already have wealth here, even a small amount. I'll like protect that versus a normal app. You just bounce before you even put the first dollar in. Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. It is a podcast that we want you to check out. It's called D2C Pod. It's hosted by Ramon Berrios and Blaine Bolas. It is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. And this is a podcast about all things direct-to-consumer, D2C. It's e-commerce stores. It's how you optimize your brand. And they're talking with founders, marketers, and the platform creators about all kinds of things that you need to know for D2C. You know, website conversion, paid ads, Facebook ads, consumer trends, email marketing, If you want to know the stories behind your favorite brands, this podcast is for you. They did an episode recently about scaling creator growth and influencer incentives that I thought was pretty cool. So check it out. Listen to DTC Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Was this your own money that you invested or the fund's money? 
Well, I put my own money into the fund, but then all my investments have to go through the fund unless um, the founder itself won't let the fund invest. And because, so there's only because that's like a, like an angelist rule. Well, that's the rule I set when I started the fund because I didn't want to have a, a conflict of interest where I'm doing the good deals in my own money and I'm doing the uh, borderline deals in the fund's money. No, I wanted it to be clean so that, hey, every deal I do, I just do it through this one vehicle. How much did you invest? So I put in 150K and it's got a $12 million valuation and a 20% discount. And so, um, so, so I put in 150K, they're raising about a million bucks. They already have good traction. So like, you know, what, what do you look for? You like the team, you like the product, and then you got to like the traction in the market size. And so market size I like because I think this micro savings thing can add up really big in India. There's just so many people. And so like their average user after I think like two or three months has has saved $300 already in the app, US dollars. And so that's like pretty significant for a very early, like just putting micropayment after micropayment in of just rounding up your expenses or just automating and saying, every day I want to put in 50 rupees, which is like, you know, whatever, a dollar or less than a dollar. And so it's like, every day I want to put in 50 rupees and because my goal is to save up enough where I can pay for my wedding, you know, in five years. And so it's kind of like sets the goal and then it says, great, you should put in 75 a day. And you say yes. And then India also has this crazy thing. I don't know if you've heard of UPI. No. So basically the country, like, you know how like in the States you have like, Every bank just kind of has their own clunky software and there's different payment. You know, you can use Stripe for payments. You can use something else for payments. And there's no like, there's no country level payments rails. And so in India, the government came in and was like, yo, in the next year, everybody has to move to this new payment standard. It's the universal payments, whatever infrastructure or something like that. And um, this will just make it so that anybody who's taking payments, you just build on top of these rails. And we're going to modernize payments in India cool. through this. And so they did that big change. And so that's cha that's changed the game. That's why there's a lot of innovation in India right now, because this UPI thing was like a pretty major breakthrough. And the second thing is they just released this feature called AutoPay, which is basically like a recurring auto investment. And so these guys are using that new feature of UPI. So I just think the like why now makes a lot of sense for for this. And I like the the, the hack that they have around just buying gold so that you, you reduce all the friction of getting somebody started. Do you so are you totally okay with investing in India? Like because I don't I've only <laughs> invested in American based companies. I've had Australia, I've had right. Euro, all over Europe, and I'm like, for some reason that gap freaks me out a little it yeah it kind of does to me too but i've been investing in india and um and so so when i do when i invest in india there is definitely like some trepidation so that's my why it could fail i just wrote india question mark question mark question mark like easy for me to be fooled right like these guys could be well-known scammers in india that i don't know right these guys could be i mean they weren't right they went through yc i think so so so, so, so you know i don't actually i don't know if they went through yc but i know well, I, the other other companies I invest in know these guys, and they went. Their competitor went to YC, which is your second point why they could fail. Is there's a lot of people in the space. Exactly. So fintech is just super hot worldwide right now. There's like every day there's a new credit card, a new debit card, a new neo bank that's popping up, and then there's bigger players that are trying to modernize. And so I think the, the one way they could fail is that there's probably like. 10, between 10 and 50 legit competitors to this in India that are not doing directly this, but they could add this as a feature or they could pivot into this um, or they could like recognize the, the clever things that these guys are doing and implement them. So I think that's the, the, those are the two, which is like, there's a bunch of competitors in FinTech right now for every idea. And the second thing is, India is always a little bit of a question mark and it's, some, it's very easy for shit to look good in India because 
you know, cost of customer acquisition is always super cheap. It's like, oh man, you're getting users for 80 cents. That's awesome. Um, but like the reality is not, not all these Indian companies can be great. So, so I got to like, my own filter for India is off because I come at it with a U.S. point of view. Um, having said all that, the two Indian investments I've done so far are probably two of my best investments. And so I'm going to keep betting there because I think that the country is like, it's in a sweet spot where there's just a lot of innovation. There's just going to be a lot of winners out of this batch. And I just need to bet in on enough of them that, okay, even if I get fooled by one or two, or I didn't understand the market landscape, I get into enough winners uh, is my goal. Also, because I'm Indian, I kind of have this advantage where a lot of people in India follow me through this podcast or through Twitter. And so I am able to get into like any deal. Like these guys, when they were reaching out, they're like, we asked only for two intros, you and Naval. And I was like, okay, bro, you have one of us in the wrong league there. Uh, but the, the reality is that's kind of an opportunity for me. Is like I agree. If, I, I, if I, agree. I build my brand bigger there, I can get into any deal I want there. I agree. I think it's why like, um, like Bruno Mars is like the most watched person on YouTube. It's because when you see... Because uh, in the... Uh, where's he from? Indonesia, Philippines, wherever he's from. If you see someone who you recognize yeah. in America who's crushing and kicking ass, Everyone rallies around that person from the outside country right. to like, like, oh, he's one of us. So, so. It's like Manny Pacquiao in the Philippines, he's he's like the president there, and he's just because he's like a famous boxer here, they just want to go all out for their guy. Yeah, or Bjork in Iceland. So you're like the uh, <laughs> you're the you're the uh, Manny yet, Pacquiao saying, of India. I'm saying if I keep betting, then I have a path to do that. But if I'm never investing there, then I can't build that. Like it takes a stack of 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 reasons why you should be like known and, and, and respected in a place. And I think one of the reasons why you could be known and respected is having invested in some winners. But I got to plant those seeds now. All right. Can I tell you one I'm really excited about? And I wasn't excited at first. And then I started using it. And I'm like, oh, I'm in. Okay. So okay. the name is bad. And they're going to change it. <laughs> they're they're going to change the name, I think. Um, it's called... The name's really bad. It's called Rumor. So I'm actually highlighting it. You can see the memo that I wrote well, for When you say it, the name's fine. When you spell it, you you know, it sounds like you got uh, cotton in your mouth or something yeah. like that. It's, so I've <laughs> talked about Bring a Trailer. Bring a Trailer is this website that originally started as like a car where they would show off cool cars that were on sale from around the web. They eventually launched their own uh, auction platform, but they just did a really good job of making editorializing it, making being you know, like a community so you can buy classic or even newer cars that fit a certain demographic. Um, Rumor is doing that for houses. And by the way, if you want to invest, Sean, let me know. Um, I've, I, I I'm think interested that, in it. I yeah. wouldn't have been interested in this except for the bring it when you've educated me on how bring a trailer is a great business. And then we've looked into different auctions through the podcast. So now when I look at this, I see it differently than like, oh, just another home buying website. Okay. I don't really, how are you different than? No, Open Door it'll be cool because look at some yeah. of the example auctions and then click comments and read the comments. That's kind of like why it's neat. So how do I go to an auction? Uh, um, okay. I don't even know if those are fake auctions or, or what the founder bought a bunch of homes just to put on that site for auctions. Right. Um, and so go to the he website. He bought a bunch of homes to, to or, seed the marketplace. I think he like owns like twenty. He's like a he was like a he's a property owner. Like he owns uh, he's like a landlord. So, so let's just let's just explain it. So I'm on Rumor. It's r u u m r dot com right now. They might change the name. So I go. Washington looks to be the only market that's open. So I'm there right now, and I'm just looking at this for the first time. So I see that there's this house in Washington. There's a bunch of pictures, and um, it's on sale for hundred three thousand dollars. And it says that there's thirteen hours left presumably in this auction. And then there's some details about it, like all the normal house details. And then I can log in, I can make an offer. And then I see people who are making offers. But then there, I see people who are also commenting like, is the electric heating system baseboard or something else? 
And, uh, and then you see replies from like, I assume either the owner or the agent, uh, like answering questions in the chat here while people are bidding 100,000, 101,000, 102,000. And that's currently at 103,000 is the uh, It's neat, right? Auction. It's and eBay so, for houses. Yeah. And, and yeah, but it's a little bit different than eBay. It's a, a little bit different, but yeah, that is, but it, the reason it's one of the reasons why I think this can exist is let's say you're buying a house for half a million dollars and they do like a first and final offer process where everyone submits their offer on a Friday. If you're right. bidding half a million dollars for a house and you see that the winning bid was 505, right. you're like, well, fuck. If you guys would have told me, <laughs> I would have bet 510 and you would have made more money and I would have got what I wanted. Right. Um, and so it's kind of trying to solve for that. But let me explain to you why I think this could be cool. So, first, I'm the founder was pretty interesting. He's a military guy, so I like military folks. He yep. also started Stay Alfred. You know, Stay Alfred? By the way, we should we should highlight the groups that we are inherently biased to invest in. Mormons, military guys. Russians, <laughs> yes, Jews. <laughs> what else we got? <laughs> Israeli Jews is what we said, right? Um, you know who else? Immigrants. Any, I'm always partial to immigrants. Any any immigrant, um, anybody who's lived in the U.S. illegally, um, you know, for a period of time. Anybody who is you know single parent. Uh, I'm in. You did. You already did the hardest thing of your life. McKenzie. Oh, McKinsey, no, that's that's a that's a no for me. The um the other ones that I, I guess like are are I'm always like I lean in, I'm a little bit interested. It's like, oh, how'd you what, what were you doing like when you were younger? And it's like, well, I was like, you know, flipping cars or I was flipping shoes on eBay or uh, I kind of don't want to say because I was like this affiliate marketer for these like shady yeah, dating sites. Yeah. I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. That's like shady that's internet stuff. I like yeah, shady internet arbitrager. So this guy started Stay Alfred, which was like a, you know, Sonder. It's like a competitor to Sonder where they would like rent out entire buildings and then sublease them for uh, work travel. Got to $100 million in revenue, raised $60 million, crashed and burned and went out of business. And you know what? That's awesome. I right. love that. So that's initially why I was interested. I told him I love Bring a Trailer. And he goes, oh, great. Uh, their co-founder works here. And so does three of their team. Uh, Bring a Trailer sold the rumors like half a million dollars. Um, and since 2000, half, a billion. half, sorry, half a billion since 2012, I remember in 2012, I was playing around with, um, real estate stuff online. And I thought homes should be bought and sold online, just like we buy and sell clothing. And I, right. a lot of people in, with rumor, you can actually still go and see the house and open home, like at an open house. Um, but in my mind, I still think that in 10, 20, 30 years, it will be normal actually to buy a house site on scene, even though a lot of people don't think that. Uh, now I think uh, I think that will be the case. And check this out. So, so why would I? Okay, so let's say uh, let's say I'm a seller. So why would I sell here when I feel like okay, I'm going to have this 13 hour auction. I don't know what's going to happen. Do I have to take the offers, or do I can just reject all? Yeah, you can have a reserve. Okay, great. And then um, is it because I think I'm going to get a higher price, or because I save money through the fees, or what's the reason I choose this over like traditional listings? Yeah, the uh, higher price. That's the goal. Higher price by creating like a um, like a. Do they take the same fee as like a normal five percent or whatever agent fees? They take less because what the problem with real estate is the agents are still like integral, like they're still very important to the industry. If you cut the agents out, then like the agents are gonna be like, oh fuck you guys, I'm gonna badmouth you. I'm gonna make sure no one ever uses them. So they actually get the agent in on the deal, and they just like make the agent's job a little bit better and a little bit easier. Right. Um. And so we'll see if it works. But let me explain uh, two things. First is. We invested along, and the reason why I was intrigued is all of Stay Alfred's competitors, this guy's whole company, all the CEOs, all invested in this company. 
And I was like, that's kind of an interesting signal. Right. If your well, competitors respect you, like I'll bet on your next thing, that means something. Yeah, and they were all real estate guys. So this is still yeah. related to that business. So I was like, that's intriguing. Second, so I, I invested. And then I get a call. Jordan calls me, the guy who's starting this. He goes, Adam Newman just put 2 million bucks in. I was like, fucking A, got it. Like, I think that's pretty good. I think that's a good sign. So why is that a good sign? Because some people would think that's a bad sign. No, 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 no. First of all, like I'm not saying what Adam did is great. I frankly don't even know the entire story, but I, I, I'm pretty sure. He's the, the founder of WeWork who yeah. like kind of like whatever, did a bunch of shit and ended up walking away, kind of like drove the company into a weird spot and, and, and was accused of a lot of things. And then he walked away, you know, pretty wealthy as part of the, his agreement to leave. And my thing is Adam Newman, regardless, let's say he did a lot of bad stuff. Let's say he was unethical. Let's say all that's true. I'm not saying it is, but let's just for argument's sake say it is. He still built something huge and amazing in a very short amount of time and has access to all types of stuff and sees all types of stuff. So I think if he's interested, it's a good thing. Right. Um, and then why can they fail? I think if they execute this poorly, it, it's going uh, it's gonna to be bad. I also think that... Um, like. Oh, I put I put it could be if they raise too much money. I actually don't think that's going to be the case. I think they have to actually this company's going to have to raise a, a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton of money. Um, what can make this fail? I don't know. Maybe if Zillow offers this. Well, also I think it's a new behavior, and anytime you're betting on a new behavior, that's like the risk of it failing is that like maybe people won't want to buy the house sight unseen, or maybe people won't want to sell the house. In this way, they want their hand held through a traditional process because it's the biggest asset in their life, and they uh, they don't want to risk it. Which is and, traditionally and why record, homes have been bought one way. You can buy this. You can go. This is not entirely sight unseen, um, right. but yeah, it's a new behavior. There's a lot of new stuff about it. But my thing was like when I was doing the math, I'm like, you don't need that much volume to build something quite large. And right. one, once you have the home on there, you can upsell like property uh, assessment or what's it called. Um, inspections. I think you can upsell. I just thought it was interesting. I yeah, think that these closing. So, so one thing that's good here is you, you don't want all your bets to be logical, clear, good ideas, because that means your risk profile wasn't right with startup investing. You need a few ideas that, you know, sound like they're going to fail when you, when you invest in them. And then you either, either they fail and you're like, yeah, well, duh. Or you end up looking like a genius six years later, seven years later, because that non-obvious contrarian idea turned out to be something people actually wanted to do, turned out to be a new behavior people were willing to do. And so I think it's good to have, I, I, this was the one note I told my team uh, who like helps me with investing. I said, I don't think we're taking weird enough bets. I don't think we're taking wild enough bets because um, that's where the big outsized crazy returns are going to be as in things that are non, um, non-obvious today, you know, like low valuation, not everybody wants to invest in them, that sort of thing. Do you, did you do SACE? Yes. Does that interest you to talk about or no? Um, we've kind of talked about them before. I want oh, to talk we'll about do another one. one. All right. I want to do one. Okay. You'll kind of, I think you'll like this one. I think you'll want in on this one, although it might be too late. Um, so it's called One Build. So what One Build is, is here's the problem as the guy describes it. So I talk, so I meet the guy. How'd you meet him? Uh, ben or Zach found him and then they really liked him and they were like, hey, you really got to talk to this guy. So I said, okay, great. Let's do it. And um, I forgot, I don't know how they found him. I think he was like in some YC batch or something like that. So, so basically, I talked to this guy and he's like, yeah, I, I was working at Cloud Kitchens, the, the startup started by Travis Klanick. He's like, I was one of the first like, 20 people there. And my job was like, you know, they wanted to go build out all these cloud kitchens, all these kitchens around the world. And they were like, all right, 
you know, we want to build this $10 million project. We want to build this $20 million project. And he's like, I'm a data guy. Like my background is like data science. And they were like, look, we need you to like be intelligent about how we're going to like plan out these builds. We're trying to spend this much this year. It's a big number. So like help us out with the data side of building out. So he's like, all right, no problem. How hard can it be? And uh, he goes into it and he's like, okay, great. So um, we have this, let's say we're doing this deal and we're trying to build out this kitchen in Seattle. And the estimate is like 10 million, but like it could be plus or minus like four or 5 million. And that's a pretty big difference. Like if it's 15, it's different than 10, which is different than six. So like, which one is it? And the guys were like, well, like it depends. Like it depends on what? He's like, it depends on the cost of construction. And he's like, okay, well, what does that depend on? And it all comes down to like one of, one of the biggest variables is material costs. So there are many ways that your construction costs can go out of whack. Like if you don't get the permits in time, and so this, it gets delayed, labor, errors, but one big one is materials. And so what he was like, he was like, okay, well, how hard can that be? Like, let's just figure out the material cost and let's just spec it out. And they're like, no, 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 it doesn't work like that. Like, here's the spec, here's the plan, like a construction plan. And now to cost this, you either you need to hire a cost estimator. And what they do and what you would do if you wanted to do this yourself is there's this book that gets printed once a year, which is like the, this is like the, bit, the blue book of like all materials cost. Like if you want a three foot piece of lumber, it's going to cost you this much. But like if, as anybody's seen, especially during COVID, like material costs, like lumber has like had huge amounts of variance. I don't know if you've seen this, but like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, you know, a, tr a truck carrying lumber is like, like right now it's like a truck carrying bricks of gold. Uh, it's like, if you robbed that truck, you would have like so much value right now because lumber was so expensive. And so he's like, the problem is that there's no real time data. And like I said, he said, so that's what I decided to leave and go build is basically an API um, that will give you real time material pricing for construction. So all you do is you upload what your, what your, um, your, construction plan is Sick. and then it basically gives you an accurate real-time cost of it and if that's changing over time you'll see how it's changing week by week day by day and companies who are building um i don't know any of the companies but companies who are building um construction companies who work in the construction business who are who are designing stuff they will use one build software to integrate with their software so it says in real time how much this is costing Exactly. So, so basically, you oh, upload your construction plan, and they're, so they're yeah, they're selling straight to the to the B2B. company. You're, they're selling to the builder and to cost estimators who do this as their job. It's like, hey, here's a way to do your job faster. But I think over time, my my sense is that over time it eliminates the need for cost estimators as a profession. Um, but but I think you know the main thing is if you're a contractor, whether you're if you're building your own project, you want to know what are my real costs going to be, and you want to know how those change over time. And then, oh, if we swap this out for this, how does that change our pricing? And then the other thing is, let's say you're a contractor, you had to go bid for a job. If you bid too high, if you put your budget, if you put the cost too high, you may not get the job, right? Because that's your sales pitch is, hey, I'll build it for 12. Uh, and if 12 is too high of a number, they're going to give it to some other guy who bid, bid eight. But if the guy who bid eight is underestimating it and it actually costs him 10, he has to eat that loss. And so bidding for jobs and accurately bidding for a job is basically like a huge part of the sales process of construction. All right, so what do I like? I like that this problem seems real. Um, I talked to a few people in real estate and they were like, yeah, of course, this, this is like, this is a huge problem. Um, the, you know, the, just the material cost for construction is twice the amount annually of all of e-commerce. So it's like humongous market. It's like a multi, it's a trillion dollar plus market of just the, uh, of just material construction costs. And um, smart guy, I like their approach. They're, I think they're kind of like the leader in that space. It doesn't seem like they have a ton of competition. Like, I don't think, 
like what I was saying before about savings app, micro saving apps or credit cards. It's like, there's a hundred of those startups right now. I don't think there's a hundred of this startup. Um, and then they already have some traction, right? They have seven figures of ARR already booked. And so I invested in this thing in their series A. And, um, and I think there's also a big idea that I like, which is after you cost it for them, after you say, oh, here's the, here's your estimated cost for this. You could also just add a buy button down the road and then be like, cool, purchase all those supplies and, and actually build a marketplace where suppliers can sell the supplies through their thing. Cause the person's already at the, at the, at the, they already have their invoice basically ready, ready to buy. This so I is like amazing. The uh, thing it can fail, right? So why would I hesitate? Uh, first, the valuation was higher. So it was like at a over $50 million oh valuation. Um, so, you know, so I put in a hundred K, I don't own a big piece of this, but I want it in rather than being on the outside. And then the second thing is I think construction is a pretty old school industry. It's all pen and paper. Like that trillion dollars of material purchasing is all done just through pen and paper offline right now. Who, and so uh, bringing it online can be a brutally hard thing to do. I'm looking at oh, Metaprop. I'm seeing who all invested in these folks. I think I, maybe I know some of these people. Uh, who's leading this Series A? Uh, you know, I don't actually know. I don't remember off the top of my head. Um, wow. This yeah. is sick. This is great. This is a cool one. If they're still raising, I would talk to them in a heartbeat. My fear about this, like if I had to like say what the downsides are, is can you easily replicate this? Like can... I don't think so because what they're doing is not just the it's not just the app that says great you know upload your thing and get your cost. It's like where does that data even live? So this is like you know that company Climate Corporation that basically uh, 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 like what they did was they basically yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah, organized yeah. Awesome. all the like, agriculture weather data sold for billions sold it for billions and basically what they offered to like you know hey farmers like here's all you know farmers and others it's basically like we took this unstructured offline data. And we made it structured and online. So, for example, they're first taking all of the material cost, all of the materials, and they're turning them into SKUs. Like if you've ever done e-commerce, a SKU is just like, a, you know, if you're at a grocery store, a Hershey's chocolate bar, that's one SKU, and then a Twix bar will be another SKU, and the large Twix bar is another SKU. So basically, they took every thing you can buy in construction, and they're turning them all into SKUs first. So first, that's the first step. Then they have to get the price feeds. Okay, how are we going to get real-time price data on all these things when prices vary from supplier to supplier, vendor to vendor? And so then they're, they have to do that. And then they have to turn that whole thing into an API that like can be queried easily and get accurate price data. And so, so I think they have a, I think that's the real innovation here is being the one to organize and collect all that data. Um, then after that, really, anybody can build an app that just asks them, hey, what's the price of lumber right now in Tucson, Arizona for this size of this type of lumber? And they should get back an answer. And then if that changes in three months, they should get that change notification that the price is increasing. That's sick. I'm into this. I'm looking at all this now. I'm taking down notes. I think this is amazing. I'm into okay. this one a lot. Um, you want to do one more you like? Or yeah. One more interesting okay, one? here's a boring one. Wait, let me look. Let's do a boring one. Okay, so I actually included this email in here because I wanted to show it and I blacked out uh, a couple things. So don't read those things. But this one's like boring. It's not a seed investment, but I just wanted to, people to see how this worked. Um, yep. So my friend, uh, Nathan Barry. Nathan Barry started this company called ConvertKit. You know ConvertKit? I'm a user. Yeah, I pay him a thousand bucks a year. love ConvertKit. If you Google ConvertKit revenue, you can see all their metrics, all their numbers. It's amazing. Nathan is... You know he's young. He's like 28 maybe. Right. Uh, but he like comes off way older. He owns, I think, almost the entire company. So ConvertKit is like a MailChimp competitor, but 
slightly different. I don't. You, it's hard to explain unless you're an email marketing nerd. But it's just like Mailchimp. It's just like HubSpot. It's just like a lot of these companies, but geared particularly, I, I believe, towards bloggers. And he has grown the company very steady for a bunch of years. And he asked me um, if I wanted to buy some secondary at a 7x multiple. So their revenue is 28 million, and he's raising at 7x that. What's that? I don't even know. Um, 300? 200 million. 200 million dollars. Um, I invested. I thought I invested $50,000 of my own money. And right. the reason I would why do that, I would do that in a heartbeat. Yeah. Well, you want to? Yeah, uh, I do want to. That's great. It's like no brainer. All right, I'll make an intro. Hold on, let me write this. I I, I know the guy, but yeah, uh, I I didn't. Let know me he was make doing the that. intro so I get credit. Yeah. Um, so he owes me one. Um, <laughs> so the way that it worked was, he goes, Nathan emailed me about a week ago. He goes, funny story. After you and I talked on how secondary liquidity works on my podcast, I guess I could say his name. Darmesh heard the episode. Darmesh is the founder of HubSpot, right. who's going to be on in a few days. Heard the podcast and he reached out saying if he could buy X worth of shares directly from our shareholders. After surveying former and current teammates who hold stock options, we're putting together a secondary round at seven times ARR. Um, and we're looking to raise 2.5 million in total with 2.05. So 2 million already committed. Um, ARR is 28 million. Net revenue is 27.3 million, which is up 34%. Revenue churn, 3.8%. Customers, 36,000. Um, profit this year, 11%, 12% profit. He sent me right. that email and I just said, "All here's what I replied. I go, how will I get liquidity? He goes, I'm either going to keep buying more companies um, and you, uh, and then I'll go public or I'm going to do more offerings in the future to you can sell. Yeah. And I go, great, in, 50,000. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. That, and, and so here's my thinking. My thinking is... I'm it's put, just super safe, right? Like the... The odds of this going south are under sub five percent easily, and I and so this is my safe bet. So to me, this is not an, so the way that I'm doing my net worth is one percentage of the vast majority. Let's say ninety five percent is in um, index funds. Boring. Five percent is going to be in angel investing, and this. Uh, this is considered private equity, I guess. It's, but it's not angel investing to me. Right. And so, it's more of the boring stuff. This goes in your boring stuff budget? Yes. But it's yeah. not quite boring. Like I can't sell it overnight. But I know Nathan. He's trustworthy. He's ethical. He's amazing. I've been asking to invest in him since he started the company. Right. And so I put 50 grand of my own money in this. And this is going to come straight from... This is coming out of like the boring pool. What do you think about this? You like this? I, I like it a lot. Yeah. I think that uh, this is a really defensible, stable company. Um, there's a lot of people that are super interested in you know email software. There's like bigger companies. And then there's like the sub stacks of the world that are trying to do things. But uh, I've used all their products. ConvertKit is the best best product out there of the of this batch. Once you're once you're hooked on it, it's hard to stop paying. Um, in fact, I told my team I was like, "Hey guys, our ConvertKit bill is like two 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 to three grand a year. Um, like we should just isn't there like a free thing that will just let us do all this? I feel like email software is everywhere." And then sure enough, they go kick the tires of a bunch of different things. They're like, ah, we can switch. We can get it cheaper, but we're going to give up X, Y, and Z. And it's like, well, X, Y, and Z all seem like the important things. <laughs> I don't want to give those up. And so so I think he's built a very steady business that, you know, today I think ConvertKit could sell for more than $200 million. I think I think if he wanted to sell this business today, he could probably sell it for somewhere like 30 to 40% higher than that. That's bad. That'd be my guess. Um and it's just going to keep growing. I think twenty five to thirty five percent a year. Uh, and on, there's a on, world compounding. 
I can see Nathan being the type of guy, and a lot of people say this, but I actually believe if he told me this is what he wanted to do, was he was like, uh, I, I think I'll run it for 25 years and try to grow it 25% every single year through buying different companies. I'd be like, oh, okay, cool. I believe you in. Right. And I, I believe you're going to try that, and I believe you're, you're capable of that. And we see pretty much every major like creator economy deal. And they're all just like, like you, you, I think you're sick of creator economy at this I'm point. I'm very sick of it. There's just so many creator tools and creator economy startups. And honestly, most of them are not very good. It's like, there's more funding in the creator economy startups than there is like actual revenue in the creator economy right now. So, so there's like this, there's like this, I don't know, overhype in that space, but this is an actual, this is a real business in the creator economy, right? This is like, Independent creators use this as their like backend for sending emails to their audience, bloggers and, and newsletter folks. And um, and I think that there's a lot of room to run. Like the thing I would do if I was him is I would figure out, I would go into the ClickFunnels market. I think ClickFunnels is a bigger company. I think ClickFunnels does over a hundred million a year. Yeah, and but their churn is shit. Their churn is shit, but you know, the I think as a upsell, I think there's a lot of people who use ConvertKit that also create landing pages and try to like sell stuff. And I think that, ClickFunnels is actually one of the better products for doing that, even though it's real janky. It's just, it's very effective uh, at actually converting people. And I think that that's the way I would go with this um, as a, like, as a route to, to getting bigger. Um, but, but yeah, I think this is a pretty safe bet. Well, I already made an introduction, Nathan. It's in your inbox. Awesome. Um, you want to do one more? Yeah, let's do one more. Okay. I have a crazy one. Um, yeah, I have a crazy one. Actually, can we talk about that other crazy one yeah. that you were telling me about? Let's yeah. do that one. Let's do that one. Okay, so uh, what, what? Cam, his name's Cam. I had this guy uh, reach out to me because he was a volunteer at HustleCon years ago. And I've always stayed in touch with him. I love Cam. He's a nice guy. And I, I, I thought he would always go places. He emailed me like a week ago or five weeks ago, like re- maybe a month ago. And he's like, I got this idea. I'm going to build a, build a world fair. And I, you and me, Sean, are way different. Immediately, <laughs> I said, nope. <laughs> nope, how about like I, I was never even entertaining well, this. Ex- explain because uh, I I didn't even really know what the World Fair is. So explain what that even means. I'm going to no, build you, the World you Fair. You do it because it, it's like it's I'm just not imaginative or smart enough to understand these things. You go ahead. So um, and actually, if you can link me the link the uh, the memo in here because uh, I think it'll be it'll be useful to talk about. But basically, what I understand is the World Fair is an event that happens has has happened like you know. 70 years ago and then 20 years before that or whatever it's sort of like the olympics it's basically this world scale event and in the same way that you know the olympics every four years it happens and it goes into some country and it like you know some city and it like takes over the whole city and it brings like tons and tons millions and millions of tourists and um and, and so you know the previous world fairs so here's here's the previous world fairs so Seville, 1992, had 42 million attendees. Shanghai, 2010, had 73 million. And Milan, in 2015, had 23 million attendees. So basically, this guy's trying to throw an event with 50 million attendees. And so that's like the, that's the premise is, hey, I'm going to build this event um, and it's going to have 50 million people attend. And I think I can make billions of dollars. He, he, he estimates uh, you know, over $5 billion per fare that he'll generate in, in some combination of tickets plus additional spend when you're there um as well as like you know the virtual live stream media rights to the to the thing and um and forget about the fact that like you know the like the city itself gets like this huge amount of economic activity when you get 50 million people coming to town that generates a lot of economic activity for the city so his idea is basically go city to city and say hey do you want this like jump start of economic activity 
host the world fair, like put up put your city up and put funding up and put resources up let me host a, a world fair here so and it's like disney world on crack i told cameron this earlier today and uh, uh so he's a listener so i want to let him know i love this guy and i think he's very competent i just think this idea i think it's stupid particularly for <laughs> a, like a vc funded thing i have hosted a like we're calling this a world's fair venture thing this is a conference. This is a trade show. Can conferences and trade shows make money? Yeah, they can. But like to start Coachella, Coachella makes $100 million a year and they've been around for like 30, no, 20 years now or Lollapalooza, 20 years. Like right. this is... Oh the, degree, the degree of difficulty on this is uh, like a, a, at an insane level, I would say. An insane so, level. So it's, so that's the reason not to invest. The reason to invest is also that the degree of difficulty is insane and the person behind this is insane and it's going to compete against nobody. And it's sort of this like... What do you like, mean against nobody? There's tons of these. Like, like this is what Web trying to do this? I mean, Web Summit did something like this. Like, yeah, would you, but it, dude, do you want to compete against the Olympics? What happened to the Olympics last year? Yeah, I, that's the thing. Who is competing against the Olympics? Nobody. It's like when Elon goes and competes against NASA. It's like nobody else is competing against sure NASA. Sure, there are. There's a Commonwealth Games. There's World Championships in different sports. There's all types of stuff. There, there. Uh, you know, nobody who entrepreneurial. Nobody who's who's trying to do it for capitalism. Basically, nobody's trying to make a profit. It's there was one person, Ted Turner. He launched uh, the common or uh, what did Ted Turner launch? Uh, the Goodwill Games. Yeah, I don't. I mean, is that even did that work? Did that not work? What do you, What do you know about that? I don't you know, know it, everything about. Ted I don't Turner. know if it made profit, but I know that it was a thing. He, he invented it because he needed a programming for for his TV uh, station for TV stations. Yeah, I believe it was called the Goodwill Games. Anyway, no, I mean, like, do they work? Yeah, they don't not work. It's kind of like, um, does the American pageant work? Like, well, it kind of probably makes money. It's like an annuity. It kind of works. Like. Right. Every year for 40 years and it does only okay. So so is your okay, what's your criticism? Is your criticism that he's not gonna be able to do it at the scale, or that even if you do it at the scale, it's not gonna make that much money? It will never, ever, ever happen at that scale. <laughs> I'm just saying that, like, look, like, and this is me saying someone betting my own money. Like, I'm not willing to bet my money that it will. I'm willing right. to bet my money that Cam will do many amazing things. I just think it's like literally like. It's this is like this is like against physics. I think like <laughs> like do you know so, what I mean? So the most most relatable version of this is the um uh summit, right? So so the guys who created summit and then they bought the mountain and they're like, you know, doing that. I think that's sort of like the closest analog that I know and I've personally seen. And it's um, not a good business. As that that was not a great business. It's a horrible it was, business. It was nowhere near well, okay, why are you saying it's a horrible business? They ran out of money multiple times. It doesn't make a profit. The event part, or are you talking about the mountain part? The event, both, all. <laughs> what are you talking about? Oh. Ryan will tell you first. Ryan made all of his money selling trade shows and ads for a real estate newsletter and trade show business. That was a killer business. Then they invested it in this other thing, and it was just okay. Like, would you want to have invested your money? Like, I just is this, this boggles my mind. I have only a few dollars to pick between X, Y, and Z. <laughs> this like doesn't even come up on the like. I'd rather go all in on abstract docs. Just like give me some boring ass software that's just going to make money for right. fifty years. So I, I agree with you from that point of view. If I'm if I'm going to invest, I'm I'm not personally going to invest in this. But um, I <laughs> I think from his point of view, from the guy who's building this point of view. I don't know. You could be if you're a lunatic, you can do some kind of amazing things. You can really exceed like where others have gone. For example, I know Patty who started Web Summit. And um You know him? That's cool. What's he like? Awesome. Awesome guy. Like, you know, should be the 
whatever of Ireland someday, prime minister, president, or whatever they have over there. Uh, he's amazing. He's a really amazing guy. But at the same, same time, if you are trying to build a huge conference, you're going to approach it very differently than trying to create a world fair or than trying to create like an Olympics. And so I think it is really not that much harder. I, I think maybe it's, it's harder, but it's not that much harder than pulling off what Patty did over seven years at Web Summit. The good thing with Web Summit is he was able to iterate. So he was able to start super small, like, oh, great, I got 100 people to come to Ireland for this conference, and the next year I got 1,000, next year I got 10,000, and then I get 100,000. Like, he was able to step it up, whereas I don't, I think with the World Fair thing, there's no, like, tiny World Fair, I don't think. So uh, I'm not sure, you know, how he's going to possibly do this. <laughs> I, yeah. Um... His, two, his two phases are... Phase one, host 25 million guests. Phase two, host another 25 million guests. <laughs> I, d- <laughs> I don't want to. I like, got to say props to this guy. Is he like young? I hope he's young. He's uh, 26. Prop- he, he Props to this guy for doing this. I got to give him credit. Uh, I'm, I'm more into this than you are. I kind of love that a guy's dreaming like this. <laughs> I also think it's insane and slightly impo- you know, impossible. I bet you you don't put your money in it. I will not put my money into it, but I did put my money into something slightly crazy. Also, uh, I put a very small amount, I put 25k into a uh, which is like below what I would invest in any other startup into a guy trying to build a startup city. So, uh, but I think that that has better odds of succeeding than the, this World Fair. Idea. Yeah, because you have rent every month. <laughs> yeah, well, so, so can I talk about that real quick? I know we're yeah. late for, for the other thing, but yeah. basically, what this guy's doing. So you, we've heard about startup cities. Balaji came on this podcast and he kind of said. I think the 2010s were about crypto, and I think the 2020s are going to be about startup cities. Apology also invested in this. So it's this thing called Praxis. And basically what they did was they created this um, social network, like kind of like a club in New York, LA, SF, with just a bunch of cool people, like founders, inter- people from entertainment, like Hollywood, New York stuff. Circle jerk and- shit. Yeah, just like, you know, Soho House type shit. And so they host cool parties. So they've just been hosting cool parties. And then basically they were like, awesome, we have this seed community of dope people. And, you know, a city is basically just like an, if you want to create the next Hollywood, right, you need all that aspiring actors, you need the filmmakers, whatever. If you need, if you want to create the next Silicon Valley, you need the fun, the VCs and the entrepreneurs and the engineers to build stuff. Um, and so this guy's premise is basically like, if you're going to build a new city, you need to have a, a network effect of dope people who want to be around each other. And um, so he's been curating this community for a while. And then they're going to the um, like Mediterranean and they're going to these countries like, hey, Croatia, can we get like a piece of land that's ours? Like, give us this land for free. Um, that's beautiful land by the ocean. And let us come up with our own financial regulation, rule of law. And we're not going to do Croatian law. We're going to do our own law. And like, just give us total sovereignty. And in exchange, you own a piece of equity in this land. And we're going to bring like the best American cool kid talent to this like st- this startup city, basically, to come live here. And uh, and then we're and basically, it's a real estate company that's just building buildings and renting out the the office space the, and all, all, all the residences to the cool kids. Theoretically, I'm into this. I would have to, I would want to know, are the people like buttoned up real estate people or are they like people from Burning Man who wear like Coachella hats all the time and, you know, like <laughs> leather shoes, like, 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 yeah. uh, like leather, like pants. Like right. I need to, I need to know like what they look like and what they're about. If they're buttoned up, maybe. You kind of want it. one of both. You want, you want the one above. Burning I Man agree. guy who's just going to, he's going to be out there recruiting the community and then you need the real estate guy who's like, yeah, 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 go do your thing. Let me, uh, let me actually set this thing up so that this works. Right. 
So, and by the way, on their website for practice, Cameron Weiss from the last company, he uh, He's a is, member. he started <laughs> blogging about the World's Fair on March 16, 2021. I linked it to you. <laughs> yeah, he's a member. That's 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 the kind of dreamers you'll get in this community. So I put a small amount of money into it because I'm just really interested to learn. And like, this is a this is a wild idea that um you know I think the portfolio has to have some wild ideas. It cannot just be um like things that are easy to understand and easy to like imagine working because I think we'll miss out on the the large outlier winners. So all right, pimp your. Uh, can people still sign up for your rolling fund? Yeah, go to uh, go to AngelList. Just type my name in, and then you could just you don't even need to email me. You could just subscribe to my rolling fund, and then I'll email you, uh, so you can invest with me. We're doing we have about four million uh, in four million a year. We invest across about thirty startups. And for me, I don't do a rolling fund. I have a syndicate. If you go on to AngelList and type in like it's called Hampton VC because I used to live on a street called Hampton, not because I'm from the Hamptons, but HamptonVC.com. If you just go there and then just click Learn More, you'll get taken straight to the uh, AngelList page and just click Apply. And then whenever I have a deal, you just are notified and you can invest or not invest. It's up to you. And uh, Sam's memos are dope. So you should go subscribe. Well, thank you. By the way, everyone's saying great stuff about power writing. Oh, uh, yeah. They love it. I'm putting um, my heart into it. I, I, I'm like, I was like too embarrassed if it sucked. So I like really, really tried. Well, everyone's saying great things. Sarah's class is going live soon. But they're saying nice. great things about it. All right, All right we'll we talk to you soon. Uh-huh. Yeah. I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. I put my all in it like my days off. On the road, let's travel, never looking back. Oh, yeah.